The First Tee with Robbie Greenfield and Zane Scotland. Brought to you by the DP World Tour, the race to Dubai. Greetings, folks. Welcome to another episode of the First Tee podcast with DP World Tour, hosted by myself, Robbie Greenfield and Zane Scotland. On this week's show, we'll look back on a big win for Matt Fitzpatrick in St Andrews and ahead to John Rahm's defence of his Open de España title. We're also in conversation with a young man who has made some eye-catching history in his short career. Kip Popper is the world number one ranked disabled golfer and he's bidding to become the first disabled golfer to gain player privileges on a main tour. Loads coming up on the show then, but first I say hello to my esteemed co-host, Mr Zane Scotland, who I believe has been playing an awful lot of golf over the past seven days, probably just to kind of come down from the euphoria of the Ryder Cup. What's the solution to that? You're feeling a bit of a lull, you hit the golf course and that's exactly what I think Zane has done. How are we, sir? I'm very good, thank you, Robbie. Probably because I crammed all that golf into the last couple of days. So yeah, I've come out of the Ryder Cup thinking I need to play more golf and I was able to remedy that with some lovely golf at a Lynx course down on the south coast. Prince's Golf Club, which borders uh, Raw St George's. We had two days of Lynx golf sun-baked fairways and limp flags which was just does not happen at Lynx course and good weather on Lynx courses is there's nowhere else in the world you want to be but when the weather is poor they're the last places in the world of golf you'd want to be which part of the golfing world had to experience this week <laughs> yeah Dee, we'll get on to that I, I do agree with that sentiment and that is precisely why as much as I love your content Zane I was very close to muting you uh, a couple mm. of times this week because you know when you're stuck in the office and you haven't hit the golf course for quite some time to be bombarded with the kind of you know golfing heaven that you were experiencing mm. over at Prince's Golf Club it was tough to watch I'm not going to lie to you it was tough but you had fun and uh, how is the game at the moment? It's been steady most of the year but it has turned I've started to play quite well I've just put in a bit of work one of the coaches at my academy very very technical and I'm obviously from much more of a playing background so I've had a couple of sessions with him and and I've started to hit the ball quite well and yes, I'm, I'm sure all my pals, I'm sure every single one of them listens to this podcast uh, and they'll be happy to know that I, I took all the money off of them and had a really great couple of days because then next year I'll probably be handing over the money, but it's been good actually. And, you know, I was coaching today and it always comes back to that thing. Like when we listen to the guys do interviews at DP World events, at PJ Tour events and so forth, they just had a little bit of like, yeah, I've been putting in the work and it's now finally paid off. And uh, I had my two days in the sun uh, just gone past. So I'm keeping my expectations low, but in the back of my mind, it's like a little game you play with yourself. Like I can pretend that I don't think I'm playing very well, but I know I'm playing well. But if I admit to playing well, then I won't play well. But, you know. <laughs> I just hope we keep you on this podcast and, and you know, we, don't, we don't lose you back to the professional ranks, Zane. You know, when you get back into it, as you say there, you put the work in. What is your go-to to click back into playing your best golf? Actually, for anyone listening who, you know, I think most listeners here will be avid golf, golfers. Part of it is first work, maybe work on something technically in your swing, but it always, there's always a bit of gel. And the gel for me is that when you go to play, asking yourself that question, what am I trying to do here? And then create the picture or create what you're going to do from that bit. So you stand behind the ball and it might be right. I'm trying to hit this ball um, close to the pin or just on the green. 
And in doing that, you put in your head a picture by saying, what am I trying to do? Even if you verbalize it and you say, right, I'm going to hit a nice medium, my normal medium draw onto the middle of the green. And by doing that, you put that image in your head and then your body can then at least achieve it. Because one thing I always, my dad used to always say to me, he said to me, you've got to do that because if you don't know where you want to hit the ball, the ball doesn't know where it wants to go either. And it's something that we've all done when you walk up to a shot and you get over the ball and you start waggling and you, you, you think, right, right, what am I doing here? And then you start swinging and you still haven't decided. <laughs> There's always that piece. As much as I want it to be some special... That's my MO, Zane. Right, <laughs> as much as you want it to be some ma- magical, special swing move, it's always... It, 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 that's not what makes it. It's the bit before, it's the seeing the shot and then it's having like, right, what am I doing? I'm doing that and then acting on it. By like talking it, that helps you visualize. People tend to think that, or many of us think, we need to have this magical part of our brain that can see every single shot perfectly. But even on a putt, just like, I can't see the line of a putt. Okay, what do you think it's gonna do? It's gonna start, it's a bit uphill, so I'm gonna hit it a bit harder. It's gonna, I'm gonna start it six inches left, and then it's gonna roll to the right. And it's, what part of the hole is it gonna fall into? It's gonna fall into the left part of the hole. But if you can verbalize what you think the ball's gonna do, that is, it's a nice little starter for anybody who, who wants to gel their game together and take the money off their pals. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. There you go. Pearls of wisdom on the First Tee podcast for you. <laughs> We've got a busy show coming up. We're going to hear from the world number one ranked disabled golfer. His name is Kit Popper. He's got an incredible story. Looking forward to sharing that with you. He is going from strength to strength as well, and he's trying to create some amazing history as well for himself in the coming seasons as well. I've got to look back, though, quickly on the Alfred Dunhill links with you, Zane. Uh, an amazing fortnight for Matt Fitzpatrick, it's fair to say. Part of the winning Ryder Cup team, he bags his first point as a Ryder Cup player. He gets straight back into action on the regular tour and he bags his ninth DP World Tour victory. Not only that, but he did the rare Alfred Dunhill links double because he teamed up with his mum, Susan, to bag the team competition as well. And he got to walk over the Swilkin Bridge, make a birdie on 18 at the old course in the company of his mum playing with her. I mean, what, what an amazing story and uh, what, a, what a fortnight for Maddie Fitz a massive fortnight and probably one of the biggest parts for him personally and one of the biggest reliefs would have been getting a point in the Ryder Cup you know as good as Matt Fitzpatrick is having won the DP World Championships has been one of the most prominent European players since he's turned professional US Open champion US Amateur champion that would have played on his mind that would have, he would have been going into matching you know is this going to happen forever have I got some weird monkey on my back where I just can't win points in a Ryder Cup and, and when you do that it does liberate you somewhat okay he's gone to the DP World Championship this week and he is one of the best players there regardless you know but that that would have been a, a, I promise you it would have been a tiny kickstart like I think he would have known deep down he's obviously going to get a point at some point but like you still got to do it and then to go and win such a massive tournament with your mum uh, amazing really and, and what a brilliant thing to get to do with one of your parents and walk up the 18th at St Andrews, like the home of golf, and go through all that. So good to see, and hopefully he can like he can really kick on from here. I mean, he's been pretty good for a while, but I think we uh, I think the expectation level for Matt Fitzpatrick is very very high now, and rightly so. And hopefully he can kind of you know carry on being one of our most prominent players yeah it's always interesting when someone wins their first major particularly if it took them a little while to get that monkey off the back 
that happened for Matt last year at the US Open he was superb wasn't he in that first mm. major championship victory and uh, and uh, it, maybe there's been a little bit of a readjustment in 2023 in terms of you know, I think he probably played quite as good a golf this time this, this season as he did last that's a big win though for Matt Fitzpatrick and uh, the fact that he was able to do it in the company of his mum I'm sure made it very very special for him rare event that we witnessed up in Scotland maybe not so rare for Scotland but certainly I can't recall two days of, of washed out play Zane the fact that we had no play on Saturday or Sunday and then we had a 54 hole tournament concluding on the Monday I've got to ask you what that's what that's like I know you've played in the Alfred Dunhill links and maybe not in such adverse conditions but Matt Fitzpatrick sat on the lead for 48 hours he's experienced I get that but he's obviously got to combat adverse playing conditions very unusual circumstances where you've really got to keep your mind focused on the job in hand very much so I mean nobody played in that time so sometimes when there's a rain delay of some sort some people have to keep playing and then someone may have finished early and then you end up getting a whole day off and other people have played whereas in this case everybody was nobody could get out there I mean the, some of the pitchers were just uh, astounding really that how they even got the golf courses playable again was, is like you know, you know beyond me for sure but yeah it, it takes a brilliant amount of focus we know Fitzy is very much that guy like when he goes when he's on something he's like fully committed most people know not everyone knows he's like noted down every single shot since he's been like 16 years old in the yardage books just always noting stuff down a very intense character Matt on and off the golf course in that respect, it does kind of suit him because he's very much like, if we're doing this, I'm 110% in this and he's and, and he's got a man there, Billy Foster, who also doesn't take any rubbish and will be like, we're here to win this, you know. And also, you know, your mum's playing alongside you. You're not getting away with anything, are you? So, I mean, no. <laughs> she's not going to let you off. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, and it obviously would be really unique with having to that, all the stopping and starting. There's amateurs there as well. There's three different courses, so that would have been like for the organisers. What a what a difficult few days that is. The organisers, you would not want to be one of those European uh, DP World Tour uh, officials. And I mean, everybody's diary and schedule is important to them these days. And you've got you've got all the golfers and all the staff of the event, and, you, and then you have people that are running businesses and very successful people. Probably got jets and planes. Ready, to, ready on a runway, ready to, ready to leave on a Sunday night, and they got rebooked that for, for Monday. I mean, massive first world problems there. <laughs> um, but yeah, so much upheaval. Uh, well done to Matt Fitzpatrick for somehow keeping his head on uh, amongst all that. But yeah, somehow Johan Rupert was still able to deliver a brilliant event. And looking through social media and just seeing all the thank yous to Johan and his team for amongst all that upheaval and the nightmare conditions how much everybody still had a fantastic time just shows you like the Dunhill links you know it's one of the best tournaments in golf for that reason everybody that goes they, if, I, I've got some amateur friends that play like Michael Vaughan for instance my friend uh, Rick Lewis they play every year and that is I'm not going to say their golfing calendar revolves around that event but Michael Vaughan used to play cricket but I can tell like when we play golf there's a little mind of like I've got to have my game ready for Dunhill and it is like, it's, a, it's a major, 
major outside of a major in that. In that yeah, moment. a lot of ex-sports people from various different sports, they really, you know, they, they really take it seriously. And, and you're absolutely right. It's, uh, you know, the celebrities come out in their, in their droves. Gareth Bale, I noticed, was having a bit of a battle with Piers Morgan. I have to admit, having seen both of their swings online, I'm definitely on the side of Gareth Bale in terms of golfing talent. Did not think much of Piers Morgan's action, but uh, we're not going to analyse that. Matt Fitzpatrick, he has leapt into not quite the top 10 in the race to Dubai rankings, but he's gone up 49 places, Zane, to 11th. So he's well now into the thick of things when it comes to the race to Dubai. He actually began the week outside the top 50. Uh, our best mate, the first tee podcast best mate, uh, J- Ryan Fox, who was actually the defending champion at the Alfred Dunhill Links. He had a good week. He finished in a tie for second. He cemented that third spot in the race to Dubai rankings as well. And uh, guys that I know you know well, Mar- Marcus Armitage finished very strongly. Matthew Southgate, they moved up to 33rd and 57th on the race to Dubai rankings respectively. How big is making it to the DP World Tour Championship for those two guys, Zane? It's so big. One, because everyone wants to be competing with the best players. Outside of the majors for a DP World player, that's the event that you want to get to. One, because, you know, of the spoils of, and, and the money on offer. But that's when, the you know, now you're getting into the history and the prestige of, like, can you be a DP World Champion? That's something that Matt Fitzpatrick, you know, that, that is part of int- introduction. Major Champion, DP World Champion. First step is I want to win a tour event. The next one is like you want to now win ones with status and a DP World Championship is the one outside the majors for any DP World player. And you know, if you're there in that top 50, it's like a, a small nod to all the work you put in, you're here. You're with the best the best in Europe on this tour at the end of the year, playing against the likes of Roy McIlroy, John Rahm, Ryan Fox, who's now number three. I mean, that's where they want to be. And also there's this chance of getting into up to the PGA Tour. Get, you know, can they have a great week there? The next couple of events, go to the DP World Championship, have a great week there, possibly win the DP World Championship, but also get themselves into one of those 10 PGA Tour cards. You know, like, like it or not, that's what those players are really, in the back of their mind, I would say, and I can't speak from not chatted to them, but that's, that's, the, that's kind of the, the eventual goal here with, with this part of the season now. And there's all these different stories, aren't there? Like, we've got Ryan Fox, who's already cemented himself way inside the top 50. And he's thinking, well, I don't want to have... He wants to have a good week so he can be closer to Rory McIlroy and John Rahm to win the DP World Championship. And then you've got the other stories, the guys like Marcus Armitage, who's gone from, can I... I've got to make sure I keep my card, which is a huge emotional roller coaster, to now he just catapulted himself up to like I'm now gonna I've got a chance to be in Dubai at the end of the year yet 10 11 days ago he was thinking I'm just hoping I'm still going to be on this tour next year so like there are so many small stories happening at this part of the year it's so it's so interesting yeah I think just nudging into the top 50 if you're outside it's probably a bit more of a pride thing at this point um could you have game wise you're happy with your game you, you're playing quite well but there's that little piece of like, I also want to be there. You don't want to be putting switch on the television, seeing an event on television that you think all my friends are there because they're a bit better than me. You know, that's not that's that's almost the driving factor now. You don't want to see your power playing and you not being allowed to be in the event. 
That's it. Yeah, it comes down to FOMO at the end of the day. Yeah, and we're gonna we're gonna be building up to it. Five weeks, less than five weeks to go until the start of the DP World Tour Championship at Jumeirah Golf Estates. I cannot wait for that, Zane. That's in the future. For now, I want to turn our attention to this episode's special guest. So this episode's special guest is the G4D Order of Merit leader and world number one ranked disabled golfer. His name is Kip Poppert. And I caught up with Kip Zane right after he'd actually won the G4D Tour event, the last one at Wentworth by five shots. It was his third G4D Tour win in a row. It was his eighth in total. He's now got four wins from seven starts, which is totally dominant on the G4D Tour this season. And he's miles ahead in the Order of Merit. He's actually got a wide margin of victory there so far on 716 points, 238 points clear of the second place, uh, Juan Postiga Arce. So Kip's story is a remarkable one. I know you know a bit about Kip. And, and honestly, if, you, if you're not familiar with him, it's, it's well worth sticking around for this chat. Over the course of the interview, we'll sort of delve into it. But essentially, Zane... He was born 10 weeks premature. He developed a condition called spastic diplegia, and it's a form of cerebral palsy. It affected his growth, his mobility, and the development of his legs. And throughout his childhood and adolescence, he's had to endure over 10 surgeries on his feet and legs. But that hasn't stopped him rising to become the world's number one disabled golfer. And he's actually got aspirations that go even further than that. He wants to become the first disabled player to qualify to compete full time on a main tour zone. And last month, you know, we were all obsessed with with the Ryder Cup and all glued to that. You might recall in the build up, they had a a celebrity match. They called it the Ryder Cup All-Star match with the likes of Novak Djokovic and Gareth Bale taking part. And Kip was right there in Team Monty alongside Novak Djokovic and uh, needless to say those two combined to win as members of their team and what a cool experience for Kip I actually chatted to Kip before that took place but he also became the first disabled golfer to qualify for the British Amateur last year and he took part in the 150th Open Tournament of Champion festivities Uh, how inspired are you by Kip's story Zane? Inspired from a point of someone who's so channeled and so focused on what he wants to achieve and is not letting any excuses get in his way and actually going beyond that and using it as a superpower as a reason to do it and as as a positive reason not like I'm doing this in spite of it's like this has happened to me so what a great story it will be if I can make this happen and to have the resolve to do that I mean he comes up with what some fantastic stories of of like how he got into golf and how and why it worked for him and I think so many people can um, not necessarily empathize or align because they've gone through you know the hardship that he's gone through but there are little moments of where he's talking about how much he loves golf and being you know having that relationship with his parents and his parents enabling him to be able to go and do what he wants to do there were just so many things in there you think, wow, like, I can align with that. Or these these are values that I want to show my son and say, you know, look at this guy. He hasn't had it easy. He's had it really difficult. And he's using that. He's using this as a, this is why I should do it. Not like, no, not reasons why he shouldn't be able to do it. He's re- finding, finding reasons everywhere he can as to why he should be able to do it and why this is a reason to push him to do it more and get excited about that. 
and the drive and the and the focus it's just absolutely it's inspiring you know ranked number one golfer now and he's not even thinking about being ranked number one golfer he's just thinking about what's next what's going forward what's the story it's a real it's a really good insight into a mindset and a level of positivity that that i kind of marvel at in all honesty um you know, I just I find it remarkable uh, that he's able to, to to channel that energy in such a positive way, and we're gonna we're gonna hear how he does that. We're gonna get into this conversation now. I actually wanted to start by asking Kip: Has all of this success that he has experienced so far in his career has it been a surprise to him and those who know him? I don't know. I think it's awesome that the G4D came around when it did for me. You know, just after finishing uni, it gave me a place to play. But I think. Realistically, I don't think they, at least I'm not surprised. And I don't mean that in a cocky way. I just mean I've always been a person that's very driven and determined. So my personality suited um, overachieving. And so, you know, when I was a kid and I was off six handicap and no one thought I'd get better than that, I got down to scratch and stuff. And it's just because I work very hard and, and very determined person. So, I mean, the opportunities that have come our way now is incredible. And I never would have thought of those before. Has proving people wrong ever been a motivating factor for you, Kip? Um, I think a lot of people say, you know, to ever achieving good things, say, oh, uh, bad comments have driven me. But I'm actually the opposite. I'm trying to prove myself right. You know, for me, that's a more positive way of looking at it. People will judge and uh, look at me in whatever way they see fit and they're allowed to do that. But in all honesty, I'm just focused on what I'm trying to achieve. And I think I absolutely enjoy this. Like, I enjoy the challenge and I, I enjoy... Uh, the opportunities I'm having at the moment. So I think that positive outlook just helps me be happy. And um, as I say, I'm trying to prove myself right. And I think that's a more positive way of looking at it rather than trying to prove others wrong. You know, Absolutely. And you are amassing records at a staggering rate. I mean, I, I need to ask you about last year. I know that was a very special year for you. Maybe if we can start at the beginning, though, Kip, in terms of, you know, the experiences you had as a child, the, the condition you mm-hmm. were born with and and you know j- just your your memories of of childhood and and how you kind of got into golf and and maybe how golf was an outlet for you that i totally agree with golf is, was definitely an outlet for me and as a kid it gave me a driving force to put my motivation and determination into something um golf was massive for me so i was born 10 weeks premature um i'm very fortunate to have two parents that are doctors so i'm um, being born with cerebral palsy i've had every chance to achieve my dreams because I've had all the medical service I need. You know, luckily the NHS in England's free. So um, I've had 11 or 10 operations now, so I haven't had to pay for those services. But I've also been extremely hardworking in the physio and everything I do. And I think having golf and in my head becoming a world-renowned... I want to be a golfing great. I'm not going to shy away from that. So I think having that in my back, in the back of my head every time I did a physio session or a golf lesson or anything it meant I was so focused and it didn't really matter how if I was in a little bit of pain you know when you've got something that you're trying to achieve for 20 years it's a it makes overcoming small daily hurdles pretty easy and also I just enjoy the challenge I got into golf because my dad started when I was born and I've got three other siblings so having four hours on the golf course with him was pretty special um you know just undivided attention which is you know (laughs) was pretty pretty cool and then as to say, I think if I didn't do golf, I'd have done something else, maybe ball or snooker or something that, you know, where I just love competing and I love challenging myself and I love achieving more than I could imagine or anyone else can imagine is what I've always wanted to do. 
I love that quote that I saw from the, the documentary did. No one was deciding for me if I was allowed to play. And I think mm -hmm. that, that's a great way to kind of sum up golf because it's the ultimate sort of individual pursuit in many ways, isn't it? It's a challenge yeah. against yourself. It's a challenge against the course. How important was that for you to almost take decisions out of other people's hands and for you to have something of your own when you were a kid? Yeah, exactly that. I used to play football and was pretty good at cricket. But as I say, my legs always did affect decisions. You know, if it was being, you know, I was pretty good at football in the sense of I had good close control and a good passer, but I obviously can't run very well. So being in teams, I was never an amazing footballer, but it meant that it got, you know, when there was other kids that weren't as good as me, you know, they were getting picked. You know, I remember one time I was in primary school and I was clearly able to be in this team and another kid got picked and all the parents wondered why because I was in the football group, as you will. All my friends were top footballers in school. And um, it was basically because the school was scared of me getting hurt. Um, you know, but I play every break time and got shoved down and never bothered me. So having that where someone else is deciding he's too fragile or we don't want him to get hurt. If he'd have given me the option as a kid, I would 100% gone out there and got hurt and just had fun doing it. And if I got hurt, then that's what it was. So I think for me, golf, basically you turn up as long as you're able to play a golf course um, with whatever equipment you need, no one decides if you can enter an event or not. You just have to have the handicap. And then that's what I loved about it. And, and also I loved, you know, if you're good at golf, it's all because of yourself, really. You know, you've obviously got good mentors, good coaches, but to be able to shoot good scores in tournaments, no one can help you or, you know, your caddy might be able to help. But I've only had a caddy the last couple of years and my friend Ben. When you fail, it's all up to you. And when you do well, it's up to you. And I think for me, that person, that, for my personality, that really suited me. Because I, I didn't, I don't really like blaming other people. I don't blame my legs. I don't blame much. I just sort of get on with things. I thought, you know, your tribute to your parents was really interesting because they had a very open-minded, very expansive attitude about what you may or may not go on to do. And I'd love to maybe get some insight into the encouragement that they shared with you, that they gave you. The reality of it is, I think my parents never bubble wrapped me. You know, I never was, oh, Kip can't play with his cousins because he's feeling a bit tired. You know, if I wanted to go and run around the pitch with my cousins who all played rugby and get absolutely pummeled, <laughs> and I could do that. You know, it never was, right, Archie or Cammy or they're my cousin Finney, you know, take it easy on Kip. So, yeah, having that where no matter what I did, it was never a special treatment, just basically meant that I didn't have a didn't have a choice to uh, use my legs to make life easier, as you will. Um, and obviously my legs have pr produced a few challenges, but I think my parents having a medical background meant they weren't as terrified. I think if you've got a disabled child and you don't know much about medicine or the disabilities, you're learning at such a fast pace, you know, and it must be really scary being a parent and, you know, being a parent of any child, be it able-bodied or disabled. And I think my parents just had that support network around them of, professionals that were friends that basically were like look he'll be fine and i think that's really helped and yeah just never had any special treatment for example i was encouraged to walk upstairs for example it wasn't like all right kip take the elevator she might get a bit tired my mum's view was well if he takes the stairs then he'll be able to take more stairs next year and then more stairs and so that progressive mindset i think you know people have always complimented my work ethic but it's it comes from my parents both my parents are extremely hard working my dad absolutely loves what he does as a surgeon, you know, completely loves it. He works mad hours, but growing up and seeing my dad have such a passion for what he does, that meant I wanted to find what my passion was. And luckily I found it at such an early age. Did you encounter any discrimination growing up, Kip? Um, yeah, like in, in school, you know, there were comments like kids, kids are amazing, but they can also be quite mean. But I mean, I, 
I definitely did. And I would, I probably dumbed it down and was like, oh, it's not worse than other people get. But again, that's just my mentality. If they wanted to say anything, they were more than welcome to. It doesn't, I sort of took the view that, you know, if they want to say, I remember one kid saying to me when I was 13, he was like, oh, are we going to see you in the Paralympics in a few years as a joke? You know, and all his mates behind him were giggling. And I think, I remember thinking, I was like, I said, yeah, you probably will. And, you know, I might be in the Olympics as well. Like it doesn't, I think that set me up hopefully for a good mindset moving into the professional ranks because, or eventually, you know, doing this and becoming a world-renowned golfer because golfers and people on the internet will always judge and say things. And I think as long as I've got my family and people are close to me, I'm very good at, you know, water off a duck's back. It really doesn't phase me. And I think that's because I've grown up with it almost. So I think actually having my legs has helped me be very aware of you know other comments people make and realizing that really it's just they're just words and there's nothing to them there's no sustenance to it mm. uh, it's an incredible attitude kip and, and obviously growing up you know becoming a golfer finding out that you've you've got some ability you've got some talent and you want to take it as far as you can you know you said you mentioned that i think did you say 10 or 11 operations during yeah. your childhood you, you know dealing with that the pain obviously the physical restrictions that you were facing and we all know golf is not an easy game I've been playing it for 30 years I can definitely attest to that uh, how did you kind of continue to make strides forward when you were facing these physical challenges and what were the mental challenges you had in conjunction with that I always viewed it as because I have cerebral palsy it's not a reason for me to not achieve something I always used to think well how cool will it be when I win the open championship and I have cerebral palsy and so I viewed it as almost this is going to be a cooler story than anyone else's. So I thought I used it as a superpower, really. I thought, look, I've got a unique opportunity to do something that no one else has ever done. And that's how I've always viewed it. So, yeah, that's it, really, is I just want to achieve the most I can absolutely do. My personality is if you give me an inch, I'll take a mile. I just want to see how far I can go for no other reason than personally that. Just it's my own little adventure. It's my own life. You know, when I'm 70 years old, to be honest, the accolades I'll achieve, they're awesome. But it's actually, you know, the day-to-day -day life I enjoy the most. You know, like having trophies is pretty cool, but hitting shots under pressure and pulling those off or, you know, being able to hug my dad after I finish a tournament, you know, they're things I hold more, way more dear than any trophy. I think I saw a clip of you saying that when you used to play like two rounds a day as a kid, you would, over lunch, you'd stick your feet in an ice bucket oh, just yes. to go out yeah, yeah. for the second 18. <laughs> yeah, I, no, my dad My dad left me at the golf course one evening because I was just always up there. You know, I just, he would drop me off at 6 a.m. on his way to work and pick me up at 9 p.m. on his way back. And one evening he basically went home and it was actually thunderstorms and lightning. And my mum, they were having dinner and my mum just about 10 p.m., 10.30 goes, where's Kit? And he goes, I thought he's upstairs. My mum, Lindsay, was sort of like, well, no, you're meant to pick him up. And I was literally at the golf course, <laughs> huddled up under an umbrella in my waterproof kit on the driving range, asleep under the umbrella. And I was so excited for the next day. So my dad comes thinking I've been struck by lightning. And I wake up to him sort of panicking. And I'm gutted because I was so excited to get up at 4 a.m., go play golf, think this is payback. I'll play 18 holes before the greenkeepers get there and then have a big lunch on my dad's club card. <laughs> big breakfast and so I was gutted when he woke me up but yeah I was just always at the golf club always pushing it and then I think as I say that's my secret is I was never at the golf club just for golf I was at the golf club to achieve something great you know every putting session every shot I've ever hit 
in the back of my head it's to win a major or to win a top tournament you know it's and every little thing i've done has never been just to smack a golf ball it, there's a reason behind everything i do earlier when uh you asked what was the same things i did to deal with the pain or to get around a golf course i would i'd pick a blade of grass and my feet were really sore 100 yards ahead of me and walk focus so intently on that blade of grass because my feet were, used to be quite sore um and they still get really sore now but focus on that blade of grass walk to it and then as soon as i got to that one pick another one and i think just having that and then before you know it you've walked two holes and i think that was pretty cool you know I used to say hitting a golf ball was the easy bit. You know, getting around the golf course was the tough bit. And I think, imagine playing someone where the walking in between the shots is the harder bit. They get to a golf shot, they get under pressure, and they're like, oh, this is this is easy. This is what I do. And then, you know, you do the walking bit, and that's the bit I'm actually thinking about. Um, and the bit, I think, having that intense focus just to walk a golf hole has helped me in tournaments where I have such an intense focus on what I'm doing. Because I had to have an intense focus to not let the pain reduce how much I was practicing. You've just described, we actually interviewed a, a Navy SEAL, a former Navy SEAL, who talked about uh, the techniques they used, the mental techniques when they were doing the training, the BUDS training, going out and having to spend an hour in very cold temperatures in the, in the water. And the secret is to break it into one minute chunks. So you're just trying mm -hmm. to get to the end of that minute. And you've kind of explained that in a, in a different type of way break it yeah. down your tasks to manage your manageable portions that's it and i've never read the navy seals book i've never learned how you know never had any lessons on how to do things mentally i've always done it myself but i think living with my experience and weirdly having my experience but then having the insane goals that i genuinely feel are achievable has meant that i've done it in manageable chunks and i mean that's pretty cool to hear actually because i've always thought you know i'd love to get in a room with high level achievers and things and i think my mentality would be pretty close to theirs when did you first play in your first kind of sanctioned event or when did you realize i suppose that you could play golf competitively at an elite level and there was a platform that would allow you to do that so my first ever proper event i remember again i was about 12 and i was pretty good and then i started getting foot deformities which meant that uh, i had massive bunions as you will or huge foot swings from the way i walked i had to have major surgeries on so i had a big stool in my golf from 12 to 16 when i had these big surgeries but 16 i remember still having a big foot deformity i was out all summer with an operation and i had about three weeks before the first ever england event i could do no sanctioned event called the lee westwood trophy and i practiced my ass off and i just remember getting on that tee box first ever time i felt nerves but again i've I would spend hours in hospital beds, in my bed as a physio, uh, doing physio, visualizing what it would be like to be under pressure and what it, what I would do and my reactions to shots hit good or bad. So I felt like I'd been there a million times. And I remember the coolest thing was in my head. I remember seeing the England sign. It's just England golf. But to me, I was like, that's one step in stone done. I remember standing on the first tee thinking, you know, all those people thought I couldn't get to this point or even me when I wasn't sure. Here's, you know, and my mentality wasn't right. I've got to the England sign, that's it. It's like, right, next stepping stone, manageable tasks. And I remember having, hitting a three wood off that tee. And I just thought, just swing it. You've been practicing this your whole life. Just hit it, flushed it, next shot onto the green on long pass four, and then hold the birdie putt. And I was like, and then I finished sixth in that event, I think, first ever England event. I mean, the first ever DP World event I did, G4 Detour, Ben was on my bag was on the weekend, so it's Sunday flags in Scotland, and the Saturday was horrendous conditions, and I knocked two balls through greens, just we overjudged the wind and went into water, and I shot five over. 
And then the next day I come out, no wind, and I go and shoot six under bogey three to the Sunday flags that the tour players are playing. Um, and everyone was like, how have you done that? I said, well, I basically shot level par in horrendous conditions yesterday, apart from two shots that I hit pretty good but went through. But I think I've always done pretty well under the most extreme pressure. That's when I tend to do well. You know, most people would think, right, it takes a bit of getting used to to play at these high levels. But I'm almost like, well, I've been practicing this my whole life. It's sort of... You know, just let it swing. So that's, yeah, exactly. What else have you been practicing for, I suppose? Exactly. That's it, 100%. So it doesn't... I, I enjoy that more than just... I'd play probably worse going out with my mates and just whacking a ball around <laughs> doing tournaments. Yeah, that's and that's a that's a very, very special skill to have as well because not, not everyone, not even... Not even every professional golfer has that. Mm. I think that's a very that's a very great attribute. And uh, I've got to ask you about 2021, uh, Fairmont and Andrews. Mm. I think it was the, it, yeah. the Edgar Hero Open. You became yeah. world number one on the rankings for golfers with disability. You, you mentioned the England sign. I mean, as a milestone, where does that rank? Yeah, that was pretty good. That was the day I shot six under bogey free, and so you know a lot of the media and people were quite shocked by that. And I mean, I was doing TV interviews, but. I took it all in my stride. It was just normal. I mean, it was. I was extremely pleased with how I played, but it wasn't anything that I wasn't surprised by. And the reality of it is, is I think, so I mentioned my cousin Arch passed away. He passed away 2021. That was after COVID, wasn't it? Maybe. Or was that before? It was during, kind of during, really. It was, yeah, yeah it was yeah. still in the midst of it. it was, yeah. yeah. I'm so, so sorry to hear that, I, by the way. Yeah, that's okay. Um, And so he passed away and, in all honesty, that was one of the first events I did. So I, I played my first ever EDJ event in Archie's Rugby Top two months after he passed away in 2019. And I again, I won that event. And all I wanted to do was FaceTime my grandparents with the trophy in his top one. And so then turning up to this DP World event, he was just very much on my mind. You know, I was like, my my cousin was going to achieve an awful lot. And he, did, he already did achieve an awful lot. Played professional rugby and passed away on his debut. So for me, it was just right, you know, here we go, Arch, let's go, you know, get a few more trophies for us. And I think I remember having an eight-footer on the last, uh, right to left, and all I saw was him. And I knocked it straight in to go birdie, birdie, finished, shoot six under. And that that was it. I wasn't really doing it for me. I wasn't doing it for anyone else. It was just me and Archie. And that's all I do now, to be honest, still. But it was very, I was very pleased and proud and just excited. I thought, you know, more opportunities to come in and I know I'll be ready to take advantage of them. And you have, Kip. I mean, you you really have taken every single opportunity that has come your way so far. I mean, that was 2021. Fast forward to 2022. You became the first disabled golfer, I believe, to qualify for the British Amateur, which is massive. Um, Yeah, and a playoff. Yeah, got through a playoff. That that is amazing. That's awesome. So that's another massive check. Mm -hmm. And then you, you took part in the 150th Open Championship in 2022 in the company of the likes of Tom Watson in that special event, in in the champion celebration of champions at St. Andrews. As you reflect on 2022, it must be difficult to select a memory that stands out, but any great advice that Tom gave you and and that British amateur experience, and I I appreciate I'm throwing a lot of questions at you here. How did that feel to kind of go toe to toe with the best amateurs in in golf in the UK? In fact, the world, I should should add. And um, 100%, I, that British amateur was awesome. I remember last few holes, I was three under through 14 and 15 holes and saw the leaderboards and was try, just trying to, I knew it was, you know, it's, my other friends qualifying is just normal, but me qualifying, I knew I'd be the first. Um, I remember going down the last few, not hitting it great, and I had a six-footer on the last and knocked that in, thinking that would get me into a playoff, and then went and got through the playoff. And 
just in all honesty, I think turning up there, I was really excited. I was also knackered because it was a long, long qualifying. Um, and it was awesome. I didn't play how I wanted to, but I know that I'm capable of beating these guys. And, you know, I then went to the, so after that, after qualifying for the the amateur, I played the Australian Open, um, Australian amateur, sorry. So just after I won the Australian Open um, G4D event, I went and did the Australian amateur in January and I was seven under through three rounds tied fifth um, and finished, I think, tied 15. Um, so, that, so that was awesome. But yeah, the, and then the one at the Open with Tom Watson, I think my coolest memory, again, was just seeing my dad's face. You know, it's pretty cool. I just was looking at him the whole time. And, you know, he was just having a ball and I was as well. I mean, first hole, I was walking over the crowd and I put a little Instagram story up and it was just, you know, showtime. That's all I put. Because you had to walk over the crowd. There was that many people. <laughs> I remember thinking, I was like, the way I play golf was I just took, I take an image of where I want the ball to go, be it a tree leaf, you know, person in the crowd or whatever and i was like right i need something really specific to focus on so if in my head if i was remembering the number 24 i just continue to repeat 24 24 24 and that's what i do with the image in my head i was like right it's the best pressurized shot you've ever hit in your career so uh, let's give yourself a small target and just play it over in your head so i was running late for the tea time that's part of my personality as well my time management's not great but okay <laughs> um running there and I was just playing this grey crane in my head the whole time that I'd seen on the walk over the crowd. I'd seen this grey crane dead in the middle and I thought that's where I'm going to hit it. So I was playing this image of this grey crane so it's so clear in my mind's eye. Did an interview with Iona Stevens, I think that's how you said it, and I don't even remember doing the interview, it was so normal, it was just, uh, because all I was thinking about was this grey crane. Met Tom Watson, uh, Stuart Sink and Paul Lowry. <laughs> I, I remember there's a picture of me, Tom Watson and the other, and Sink and Paul Laurie stood next to the Claret Jug. And I promise you, I didn't even notice it. But I was so focused on what I was going to do. Step up, three wood, and I just I just fell asleep. Went through my routine absolute, and absolutely nutted this three wood. It went dead straight at this great crane, like bullet straight. And then Tiger Woods was also in the group behind. So he was on the putting green. And again, it didn't really phase me. And But I didn't know. Like, I knew that Tiger Woods was there. But again, once I go into my routine, it's just... I fall asleep. It's just habit. And then next shot was 107 into the wind, wind into and off the left uh, to a front right flag with creep. And again, at the moment I hit it, I was like, oh my God, that's perfect. That is spinny. That is awesome. It pitched short of the flag. About four yards short, skipped up. Crowd's going like that, really loud. And then it puts a bit backspin on and stops even near. And the moment they saw backspin, I remember giggling to myself, that's woke me up, to be fair. Was they were clapping really loud. They saw a bit of backspin. They're like, whoa! Uh, um, so yeah. I, I just had an absolute ball. Seeing pictures of my dad talking with John Daly, Tom Watson. Was Tom a gentleman? Yeah, yeah, he was. I mean, Tom Watson, before I hit, he hit his first ball OB right from the <laughs> first hole, yeah. Oh, St. Andrews, that's impressive. Yeah, I know. So... He was absolutely lovely. You know, he was so kind, so genuine. He took a video of me hitting. So my first shot, he saw my practice swing and then started a video. And when afterwards, he went, I'll send that to you after the round. And, you know, his agent sent it to me after the round. And it was just, he was so lovely. All three of them were. Stuart Sink, Paul Laurie. Um, I played well, learned an awful lot. Um, yeah, was brilliant. Well, he he came within a whisker of winning an Open Championship. Well, I think he was 58 at the time when it was uh, 2009 at Turnbury. So he came so close to creating such extraordinary history there. 
Uh, mm-hmm. Did you share any aspirations of, of your own with, with him in terms of playing an Open one day? I might have done, but also I just hope to show them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. When do you think that is, you know, obviously you've set yourself, you, you want to bridge the gap, Kit, between the G4D tour and become the first disabled golfer to play professional golf on a main tour. How close do you feel you are to making that massive leap? Not far at all. I'm playing some very good golf at the moment. Um, you know, I'm going to do all the tour schools um, and definitely I'll definitely be giving it a run next year and hopefully get a few invites to maybe do some events. It'd be awesome. Um, I'd love, my aim is to get invites enough where if I did well, I'd help progress rather than just one or, you know, just one. Um, you know, I want to keep playing well enough that they maybe offer me a handful. Um, so then I can, you, as I say, take advantage of those opportunities and get on tour as quickly as I can. But I definitely, I'm ready. I'm, and I think that's what I've been waiting for is just for me to feel ready. And I, I know I am, even when I'm playing my core golf, I know it's never far away and I'm so excited to just make myself uncomfortable. You know, I'm so excited to be in the uncomfortable environment because I absolutely love that. I want the challenge. I want the pressure. Well, one thing I've realized from a young age is pressure's a privilege. You know, if I'm under pressure, it's because I'm about to do something great. You know, that's, and so that's an awesome thing. You know, if you don't have pressure in your life, you're probably not pushing yourself. That's right. Yeah, so I, I'm really excited for it. The G4D Tour, how is that universe expanding and, and growing? And is professional golf, do you think, around the corner for golfers with disabilities? So what the EDJ have done in the last 24 years is incredible. You know, people with disability have been playing golf a lot longer than that, but they were the first to sort of provide a playing opportunity to people. And now for it to sort of be you know, at the stage the G4D is at and seeing how much that's grown in the last two years where, you know, we're on a, we're on a mission to make this as big as we possibly can. And again, my personality suits that. You know, I want to be a 50-year-old man, see a tour where kids with a disability have a place to play and they're aspiring to be. And yeah, I want to achieve everything in the able-bodied game. And I know that, you know, me achieving my aims in and what I can do will only bring more attraction to the disabled golf space. So, I'm really excited and I'm really excited to be given the opportunity to help create something. That was a great chat with with Kit Popper and impossible not to root for him. His infectious enthusiasm is something that just exudes a kind of energy that you know, when speaking to him, it rubs off on you and you, 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 you're kind of energised and inspired. And as soon as I actually chatted to Kip, I think I, I went down to the driving range <laughs> shortly after that and, uh, you know, and, and, uh, and whacked a few buckets of golf balls with my own kind of surge of, not belief maybe, Zane, that's a strong word, but enthusiasm, unbridled enthusiasm for the game. Great to catch up with Kip, you know. Doubt him at your peril, basically, is the sort of message from us. Um, I love that quote as well. Pressure is a privilege. I thought that was one of the most, you know, resonant things that he said, Zane. The fact that, you know, he really, whereas some people, some athletes even, some good professional athletes tend to feel pressure in a negative way, he really embraces it. And, and obviously that, that's kind of evidenced by the results that he's had. At any level, you can appreciate that and take something from that. You know, pressure's a privilege. Like, to keep yourself in that situation and feel nervous and be like, this is why I'm here to do this. You know, not everybody sees it that way. Some people would like really shirk being under pressure. And I think as watchers of golf, when you're watching the golf, we all have like an opinion on what someone should do. And for most of us, like, you just want golfers 
that we're watching to like in this pressure situation can you just embrace it and get involved in it and, and be part of it not pretend that it's not happening you know really uh, grasp it with both hands and that's what we've seen from great sports people in the past you know, Tiger Woods always spoke about he always knew where he was in the tournament because he wanted to know he was like that's what sport's all about he used that he used that situation one perspective would be to get under pressure and start thinking ahead of yourself and go off, off course or when he got under pressure when he knew he was in the lead he would then use that to then refocus himself and I think we, when we hear what Kip had to say he's going through almost uh, magnified situations um, that all of us go through because of what he's been through and each time he's just picking the right way to go he's just picking like what's the what's my best way I can possibly I can possibly come out of this or direction I should take and he's just so focused on doing that and it just it just shows you you know no excuses just go ahead whatever your situation is make the most of that like he chatted about the Navy SEAL just like almost that militant way of like this is how you get it done Mm. I thought the piece the piece about the concentrating on a blade of grass you know for 100 yards just like no one's told him to do that he just found that in a certain way you think wow like that is just a fantastic piece of content he just dropped on us there and he and that just a young lad out there playing golf on his own who's worked that out himself yeah it's crazy it is, it's incredible and, and, and therefore the sky really is the limit for him I've got to ask if if Kip does indeed go on to gain full playing rights and I appreciate look it's a long shot. I, I don't doubt that he's going to do it, but I appreciate that the, the world of professional golf is a fiercely competitive one. But if he does, if he does get onto a professional tour, how huge would that be, Zane, in terms of just smashing stereotypes, confounding preconceived assumptions about golfers with disabilities? That would be a real watershed significant landmark achievement wouldn't it if he does do it it will be one of the one of the biggest moments in our golfing generation or something like that that would just smash open so many doors and liberate so many people thinking it can be done the very worst we're going to get out of it is an unbelievable experience and essentially like most of these things it's about the journey but yeah that would be a huge huge moment I mean it's liberating already what he's doing uh, and and the manner in which he's going about it, if he was to also go on and pull out the results, then I mean, absolute, he'd be an absolute hero like to do that. And that's the other thing that he said that really struck me was how he's enjoying the journey, and that's really his focus. And you know, that 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 is to me the thing that all of these greats athletes have in common these great sports people is that they do seem to just revel in as tiger would say the process you know uh we never quite got it i remember when i was on golf digest and i was thinking what's he on about the process um you've just won you've just won you know three majors in a calendar year you've just whatever you've done you you know aren't you focused on that and no that's that's the result of the process and you know he just keeps getting back to his happy place of like doing his things that he knows leads to all of these things and to be able to disassociate yourself in such a profound way from results uh kind of the results orientated business that golf is you know you've got to doff your cap to those guys who are able to do that yeah absolutely i mean we're sitting here you know when that young lad kip was out as a junior golfer playing at his home club his dad's having to wake him up on the practice ground and so forth to like in the media how many years on that we're likening his story to his mindset to Tiger Woods in a certain way like 
just shows you like if you have a focus and you have a dream on something like what can happen there's mental toughness there and Kip will probably sit here and go I'm mentally tougher than Tiger and you'd be like I'm not going to argue with you right now you know <laughs> no, look, at what, look at what you've done I wouldn't <laughs> I certainly wouldn't we're going to see Kip out here in Dubai for the G4D finale at Jumeirah Golf Estates it's actually running concurrently with the DP World Tour Championship it actually runs the two days November 17th to 18th what a great initiative as well to have that tournament running at the same time as the DP World Tour Championship the uh, finale for the race to Dubai season on the DP World Tour looking forward to that that is a man uh, we're looking ahead now though Zane before we wrap up for another episode of the First Tee podcast. Looking ahead, in fact, to the Open de España, which is getting underway this week at the Club de Campo Villa de Madrid. You'll have to forgive my Spanish pronunciation there. But what I will say is to have Big Rambo, John Rahm, back defending his home Open. Of course, we know how much John loves the DP World Tour Championship. He's the defending champion there as well. He's in action, uh, as is Justin Rose, fresh off the back of a fine Ryder Cup. I also think, you know, John, we know what to expect from him. He's probably going to have a very good week and probably going to contend, let's be honest. But Justin, will be interesting to see how he plays. Could go one of either two ways. Either that Ryder Cup took a lot out of him or I wonder, does that Ryder Cup inspire Rosie? Yeah, a good question. He's a bit older now, so I think one of the main parts will be has he recovered physically? Forget inspiration. How's the back? (laughs) Yeah, how's, how's the back? Yeah, I think it will be inspiring. I think his performance was something we haven't really seen before. His putting uh, it was re- it was a real strength. And Rosie's putting has not always been his strength. It's always been his ball striking. But it was a very intense week for him. So I think, yeah, I think it will be a bit of an inspiration Rosie. Maybe a bit of a second win for him in that in that respect. The one person that I say a sneaky outsider is Alex Fitzpatrick is playing this week. Yeah. Interesting to see, you know, a little, he's had a good little run. The chat's been about him getting tour cards and so forth. Now he's, you know, kind of, he's got his tour card nailed down. He's in this event. Mum and Mummy's brother won last week. It'll be interesting to see what his response is going to be to that. Yeah, Alex Fitzpatrick, what a great Open Championship that man had. Will be an interesting one to keep an eye on, as Zane said there. It's the first of back-to-back events in Spain, preceded by just two more events on this year's schedule. The Qatar Masters and the Nedbank Golf Challenge. That's when the race to Dubai is reduced to just the top 66 before the top 50, the final 50, reach the finale at Jumeirah Golf Estates on November the 16th. As I mentioned earlier in the show, less than five weeks away. Zane, what are your plans for the week? How much golf are you going to be depressing me by telling me you're going to be playing? Yeah, Matthew, I'm playing a little bit, actually. I'm coaching again tomorrow. I'm playing Thursday and I'm also playing Sunday. And I'm going to try and sneak out on Friday as well. Oh, so You're killing me here. Just, just while I can. What about you? Have you got any games lined up? Uh, you know you what? I, I need. To, to I, do. I've had. Uh, yeah, I did play a fair bit over the Ryder Cup. In all fairness, but uh, I've gone back into cold storage, and I'm waiting for your arrival here in the UAE, Zane, to sort me out and get me on the straight and narrow in terms of my golf game because it's been a little bit up and down, probably too up and down for my liking. But uh, looking forward to well, seeing uh, you out here. We will, we will get some content on that. We did do a little Instagram story last time we played at the Montgomery Course, didn't we? We did. Very yeah. good round going that day. I did, I did. Uh, yeah. Mustard, for anyone that doesn't know, uh, Robbie's ball striking is normally pretty good. Short game is not always his forte. And yet, they have a mustard up and down late on the back nine to keep his score going. So, 
I did actually. More to come on that story. Yeah, more to come on that. Yeah, <laughs> look forward to bringing you that riveting content sometime between now <laughs> and November. But listen, Zane, for, for another edition, we're starting to to hit our straps now. Are you enjoying the podcast? I'm loving it. It's, it we've had some really uh, great guests on. I think this guest this week has been really unique and inspirational beyond measure. So that's been really great and. You know, and we get to listen to your amazing tones. Um, <laughs> do a great job with the old pod as well. Oh, thank well, you. thank you, Zane. Thank you. uh, you're too kind. You're too kind. We've got loads coming up. Um, we've got Tommy Fleetwood around the corner. He's going to be joining us over in Dubai at his Tommy Fleetwood Academy. Looking forward to that episode. And a couple of, we're going down the sort of business behind the scenes route. We're going to be chatting to Guy Kinnings, who's been in kind of the top echelons of golf management for the last three decades. Keith Pelly as well, the CEO of the tour. Loads of great interviews coming up on on the first tea podcast with the dp world tour but listen thank you so much for listening please do hit the subscribe button if you've enjoyed the show we're going to be back next week the content will keep coming on the first tea podcast but for now from myself robbie and from zane scotland we say goodbye for another edition dubai i 103.8 join the conversation